Welcome to this week's episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I'll be continuing my conversation with Brian Weselowski about grace and technology, and I hope you enjoy listening. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more about some of the religions that you that do practice grace or um, emphasize grace, and maybe some very concrete uh, lessons that we could take and apply to our use of technology or even the creation of technology. So uh, religion is a, a varied um, phenomenon, and every tradition has varieties within it. And so sure. I'm very conscious of the danger of generalizing, but there <laughs> are, <laughs> which I'm sure you understand, but there, yeah, there are religious traditions which uh, more than others value the non-human world alongside the human world. Okay. And that aspect of things may allow one to think of things like machines, but also think about other human beings in ways that are characterized differently by grace. If one is uh, shaped by a tradition that emphasizes those with whom one has commonality, uh, human beings, above all else, and then maybe people who are part of this religious tradition above all other human beings are the ones who are on the right path and others are wrong. There's, there's a lot of possibility for that to foster um, hostile types of interaction. It doesn't have to by any means, right? Any more than, let's say, a tradition that's characterized by respect for all life, let's say Buddhism, you can still have conflict and you can still have violence and you can still have you know war and um, national controversy and other things there's no guarantee that any particular religious tradition will uh, either express grace um, in theory or will practice it uh, when the rubber hits the road in everyday situations but there are traditions that have important things to say so one is those that make us think in ways that involve grace about non-humans that we're connected with, right? Um, another is, you know, if we think about, you know, traditions like, you know, Islam, particularly the Sufi tradition within that uh, particular religious uh, heritage that emphasizes that there are commonalities that may be more important than differences, right? So the, the various mystics, and of course, mystics across a wide array of traditions have often been the ones that have spoken most about grace, and they've often been the ones that have recognized in the other a kindred soul, a kindred spirit, right? That they may be using different language. They may be using different concepts. They may have a different theology and one that I will quite happily talk with them about and disagree about, but there's something underlying that we have in common, right? And oftentimes I think a key to grace is the recognition of what is shared, recognition of commonality, right? And how else do we make others feel at ease around us than by recognizing above all else that this is a human being like me. And in this circumstance, it would be easy for me if I were in their shoes to feel uncomfortable. And so I'm going to do what I can to help change their experience, right? And so I think that uh, those are some of the ways in which religious traditions can uh, can express grace. And then, of course, there's grace in the sense of 
forgiveness. And if, um, if technology is giving us more opportunity to interact with more people, including strangers, and to be uh, rude and belligerent and <laughs> insulting to a wide array of people uh, all over the internet, and to, you, know, you can have a tweet that talks about a whole category of people and it's going viral and in a way that was not possible several decades earlier. Now, most people who fit into that category can hear those words and can read those words and can experience your lack of grace, your lack of respect towards other human beings, towards a particular expression of humanity. How do we discover grace in the sense of forgiveness, right? What does it mean to forgive in an era in which the things you foolishly said as uh, an early, in your early, early adolescence may be there online and no matter how hard you try, you can't make them go away, right? Uh, there is something there that reflects a common human experience, which is that we all get it wrong on the way to hopefully getting it right and becoming more gracious and more kind and more loving and more compassionate. In this era of technology, remembering all that we've done wrong, <laughs> where is the need for grace there? And so I think technology, you know, again, exposes some of the, the things, enhances some of these things, provides more opportunities to express grace, but also uh, may call for more need for more expression of grace as we discover that unless we can learn to forgive what people have done in the past, then there's very little hope for anyone in the internet era. Wow. Uh, forgiveness is something that certainly has come up a lot, but you really just put it, put it beautifully there. Uh, forgiveness is a, a big part of grace. You know, I don't think most of us uh, could get through, through life without uh, a moment of forgiveness uh, for something. None of us are, are perfect. Uh, and certainly I would imagine that religion will not imagine. I know that a lot of religion forgiveness is a very important part of them. So perhaps some lessons to draw from there. Um, I'm going to be mindful of time. We've been talking for almost an hour, which is fantastic. And I, I feel like I've learned so much from you. I'd like to learn just a little bit or hear a little bit more about um, your thoughts on, well, a little bit about your, your work on religion and science fiction and thoughts on if any of uh, that research um, that you've done might apply to our digital world. Yeah, so I've been working on things related to religion, science fiction for quite a while. And one of the subjects that interested me very early on was uh, artificial intelligence in the realm of science fiction. So can a, can a robot have a, a soul? Can a box sitting on your desktop be a person and deserve rights and things like that? And certainly in that context, I've explored this very question of, you know, first of all, can we ever answer that question philosophically to our own satisfaction, right? The reason we perceive human beings as having inalienable rights, as uh, was famously put in one particular context, is because we make an analogy from ourselves, right? We want these rights, and so we think all people should have them because we would want to have them. When we look at animals, to the extent that they are more like us or less like us, we're often inclined to 
protect them by some laws or not really worry about them. Right? What happens if we have a robot that looks human? Um, we're not sure if it's human, but you know, maybe are we inclined to give it the benefit of the doubt? Does the fact that it's sitting in a box, it's a, it's a, a machine, it doesn't look human at all, it may though be capable of the same thoughts as the robot. Maybe it's, it's actually more intelligent, more self-aware, but because it doesn't look like us, doesn't sound like us, will we judge it differently, right? And so I think machines of that sort, that fictional sort, have the potential to test our willingness to extend grace to the non-human, and so puts our values to the test. And when we can't answer the question definitively, we can't know with 100% certainty what it's like to be that machine, we're going to have to say, do we risk keeping what may be sentient entities enslaved for our own benefit? Or do we err on the side of grace, as it were, risk erring on the side of grace, and say, if there's a possibility that this could be a person, then we're going to give them rights. But more recently, I've been working with a colleague in computer science about the more present day and near future applications of computer science, artificial intelligence, and the intersection with ethics and with religion. Because there are challenges we're facing, right? Algorithms and their alleged impartiality and their potential to reinforce biases, uh, efforts to automate things like you know, driverless cars, and the question of you know, what should a driverless car do faced with certain circumstances, right? It can execute our values very quickly, probably more effectively under that kind of difficult circumstance than a, a human driver in the same situation. But it's going to take some very serious reflection and some very challenging efforts at programming to get it to implement whatever values we decide upon. And the process of trying to program those things, trying to program ethical guidelines into a machine provides yet another opportunity to have those ethics brought into focus, uh, have some serious questions about their application brought to the fore. And our human dislike for having to choose between things that we consider important and valuable, each considered separately, we'd like to value it, we'd like to pursue it. What do we do when those things bump up against one another and we have to prioritize one over the other? As human beings, we deal less well with those situations, right? Um, and those are precisely the situations in which, in the real world, the question of grace, like, okay, we can't all agree, right? These people are concerned that freedom of speech is being infringed upon. And these people are concerned that by allowing unconstrained free speech, certain people are actually being marginalized and silenced through the, mm -hmm. the language that is being used as a supposed expression of freedom of speech, right? There's probably no way to navigate that other than with grace and to recognize and to appreciate what each side is concerned about as valuable even if ultimately our sense of which we would prioritize and which we think should be prioritized by an organization or institution may differ. Uh, those will either be things that we navigate in a way that is positive, even if not to everyone's satisfaction, or ways that actually cause rifts and cause harm and 
cause you know, disintegration of our ability to live and work together based on whether we approach them with grace or uh, in a way that's lacking in grace. Absolutely. And one of the things uh, when we've been exploring grace a bit is those decisions increasingly, at least for most, most people experiencing the online world, are increasingly being centralized into what, what I'll just say are mega, mega platforms. Um, and some of the most, what I would say, graceful online platforms, you know, maybe some of the smaller communities where there's different norms or there's rules in place that allow for differences to exist. Um, where a lot of times, you know, the, the business incentives driving the major platforms is to have everyone fit into one system or one style and one approach, uh, not really necessarily that more customizable uh, online experience that does create for differences. Have you come across anything similar to that in kind of your exploration of, of um, well, I guess not really online, but in your looking at online spaces or different communities? religious communities online? Um, well, th there's so many different kinds of sort of religious community. And I think oftentimes, yeah. you know, what, what one experiences on uh, Twitter, it will be different from what one experiences in certain, uh, you know, sub channel, you know, subreddits on Reddit or someplace like that, where uh, one of them may have a particular, a particular culture, right? And particular guidelines and even some, some, written rules that it will ask if before you comment, please read these. And others will have a different sort of feel, right? And so we definitely see cultural differences appearing, even how one individual faith tradition or how, you know, let's say atheism is approached. Um, one can find places where the same broadly defined tradition is represented, but the way it is expressed and what is expected of those who participate there uh, without being banned is very different. And so there's definitely an, a, a grace aspect to that. Another, uh, another aspect of online religious community that intersects with an area of my own research, uh, I've done some work on texts of the, the Mandaeans who are a minority group historically located in Iraq and Iran. Uh, the, last surviving Gnostic group from ancient times to make it down to the present day. And their numbers have been dwindling. They are increasingly scattered from their historic homelands to other places. And one subject that I'm hoping there'll be more research on is, can online community actually help to preserve a culture, its values, its identity in a way that used to require geographic proximity, right? I mean, the way they perceived century after century after century was they existed in certain places and they married one another and they uh, passed on the tradition to their families and things like that. What happens now if they are scattered and you can't really find enough people who share this identity locally to have that effect? Right, to provide that critical mass that we, we need in order to, for a, a geographically defined community to persist. Can online community provide that or not? And there's a sense in which that's, an, that's still an open question, but it's one that I hope more people will investigate and research. I know that's a great uh, 
research question. So we're about out of time, or we are out of time. I don't want to take more than an hour, and I already have. Before I let you go, are there any last thoughts or things that you'd like to share on you know, whether grace can survive in the digital age or ways that we might be able to find more grace in the digital age? So I think that technology is both a tool and a thing that has certain characteristics and the either or approach doesn't really work. There's a, a sense in which the, the, whether it's a scroll or a book or an ebook or a web page or something else, on the one hand, it's a means to disseminating text. On the other hand, oh gosh, in the internet era, the digitally mediated uh, and disseminated text has a reach that the handwritten codex did not, right? Um, and so technology is not entirely neutral, but it still does have the characteristics of a tool in the sense that we can use it for good or for evil. And some tools or some forms of particular tools may be more naturally used or more susceptible to use for good or for evil or in this way or in that way. But ultimately, the technology will either enhance grace and our experience of grace and mediate graceful interaction with other human beings as well as graceful interaction with technology or will be characterized by the opposite of that, depending on us. Uh, individually, but also collectively, right? And to the extent that online platforms, online environments can bring out the worst in us, can expose us to the worst in our fellow human beings, they can also connect us with expressions of grace. And I hope that everyone listening to this has not only had the experience of encountering someone that was ruder and more disrespectful than you ever thought any human being could be towards another human being uh, <laughs> while commenting online, but has also encountered some quote, some meme from a source that you would not have encountered, would not have heard from had it not been for this technology bringing it to you. And so I think that my takeaway message about grace and technology is to approach technology with grace and to approach it looking for grace and to make sure that when grace is there, whether it's automated grace and customization and our needs being met uh, because somebody programmed it to do that and did a great job of it. And therefore it is indirect grace, but it's grace nonetheless. Uh, seeing where a quote or a, a tradition of religious expression that we hadn't encountered or could have encountered in our library but never did, is now there in a Facebook meme and is uh, just scrolling across our path without us soliciting it. But it's, it's an opportunity for grace if we approach it as such, if we embrace the opportunity. Uh, how we interact with strangers, how we interact with information ultimately depends on us individually and then collectively. And if we approach these things looking for grace and with grace, I think we will find there is um, a resource of grace made available to us through and in this technology that if we don't find it, if we miss it, it has 
more to do with us than anything to do with what the technology is capable of. Beautifully said. Yeah, in our in our exploration and our ongoing exploration, that basis that grace is that technology is not graceful or or ungraceful. It's a lot about how we use it and how we incorporate it into our lives. You know, for for us on the team at Gracefully, it's about you know, is this technology bringing you ease? Is it helping you bring ease to others? Um, and then, but a third most imp important factor is also, is it taking control of your life? And inherently, you know, technology that's taking control of your life and consuming you is probably not one that you're, you're using in a graceful manner uh, mm -hmm. because then you're, you're letting technology, you know, in and of itself control you and not allow you to control your interactions with others. And if something's controlling you, odds are you're not being empathetic with others or thinking about the other side. So a lot of lessons, um, there are a lot of things that we like to think about and a lot of lessons that, you know, in listening to you that we can draw and apply to that. Uh, James, thank you so much for this conversation. It has been so enriching for me and enlightening. Um, and Thank you, Brian. I've I've enjoyed it immensely too, and uh, it's it's been really not just uh, helpful in, you know, it's it's been an opportunity for grace. I'd say, you know, it's it's really helped me think through some of these things, um, both to give expression to things that I'd already been thinking about, but also, uh, as I think you probably have found, and as I think your your endeavor um, is at least partly all about, is that as we have conversations, as we talk about grace and seek grace together um, in context like this, it actually benefits us and uh, helps us to discover new things, even as we just try to talk about things that we're supposedly already thinking about and talking about. Absolutely. Thank you so much, James, and we'll have to have another conversation again soon. Yeah, sounds great. I've enjoyed this one immensely and uh, would happily have another and probably another and another after that. So yeah, thanks so much. But uh, for today, I'll just say uh, bye for now and thanks for the opportunity to, to chat about this. Of course, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation that Brian and I had about grace and technology. And I hope that your experience of listening to us have this conversation and your experience of this podcast overall has been one that shows how technology can mediate grace and can be part of that kind of enriching experience for uh, people's lives. Uh, whether that is the case or not, I hope you'll use technology to make your own experience known and share how this podcast could do that job better or how it has already been doing that for you. But for today and for now, thanks for listening. Bye for now.